ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय All right so this morning we are reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam canto 1 <clears throat> entitled creation chapter 2 divinity and divine service text 11 vadanti tat tatvidas ಭಗವಾನಿಶ್ಯಾಮೇತಿ ಭಗವಾನಿಶ್ಯಾಮೇತಿಷ್ಯಾಂತ್ word by word translation vedanti they say tat that tatva vidaha the learned souls tatvam the absolute truth yat which gyanam knowledge advayam nandu brahma iti thank you known as brahman paramatma iti known as paramatma bhagavan iti known as bhagavan shabdite it's so sounded translation learned transcendentalists who know the absolute truth call this dandul substance brahman paramatma or bhagavan 
purport. The absolute truth is both subject and object, and there's no qualitative difference there. Therefore, Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan are qualitatively one and the same. The same substance is realized as impersonal Brahman by the students of the Upanishads, as localized Paramatma by the Hiranyagarbhas, or the yogis, and as Bhagavan by the devotees. In other words, Bhagavan, or the personality of Godhead, is the last word of the absolute truth. Paramatma is the partial representation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and impersonal Brahman is the glowing effulgence of the Personality of Godhead, as the sun rays are to the sun god. Less intelligent students of either of the above schools sometimes argue in favor of their own respective realization. But those who are perfect seers of the Absolute Truth know well that the above three features of the one Absolute Truth are different perspective views seen from different angles of vision. As explained in the first shloka of the first chapter of the Bhagavatam, the Supreme Truth is self-sufficient, cognizant, and free from the illusion of relativity. In the relative world, the knower is different from the known, but in the Absolute Truth, both the knower and the known are one and the same thing. In the relative world, the knower is the living spirit or superior energy, whereas the known is inert matter or inferior energy. Therefore, there is a duality of inferior and superior energy, whereas in the absolute realm, both the knower and the known are of the same superior energy. There are three kinds of energies of the supreme energetic. There is no difference between the energy and the energetic, but there is a difference of quality of energies. The absolute realm and the living entities are of the same superior energy, but the material world is inferior energy. The living being in contact with inferior energy is illusioned, thinking he belongs to the inferior energy. Therefore, there is the sense of relativity in the material world. In the absolute, there is no such sense of difference between the knower and the known, and therefore everything there is absolute. Om Gedetivadandasya Gananjana Shalakaya Chakshulan Meditam Mena Tasmashi Gurave Namaha Mukham Karidivachalam Pangam Nangaiti Gidim Yakripa Tamaham Vande Shri Gurun Diritarinam Vancha Kaupadirubhishcha Kripa Sindhu Bevacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaudabhakta Vinda Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I'll read the translation again. Learning transcendentalists who know the absolute truth call this non-dual substance Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. <clears throat> So, as Gaudiya Vaishnavs, we <clears throat> our our whole, you could say, aim uh, is to, of course, please Krishna, but also to enter into the spiritual world and or into Krishna's pastimes. And uh, those, this this idea is actually uh, supremely unique because in so many. There's so many religious traditions throughout the world, so many ideas that people have of God and religion and so on. But the idea we find within Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, yeah, just absolutely unique. In that one can have a personal relationship uh, with Krishna. It means uh, one can enter into uh, different relationships with Krishna. As we know, uh, whatever that may be, as a gopi or a cowherd boy or you know different relationships, and uh, we should always think, we should always remember that, and 
and be grateful for that, that we have such knowledge. Because uh, many people don't have that knowledge. Many people don't know anything about that. <laughs> um, and a lot of people, they just have this idea of, for example, like uh, an impersonal idea of God, that, oh, he's just some energy. Now, of course, we also accept that, that there's the Brahman effulgence, Brahmaiti Paramatmiti Bhagavanditi Shabite. That's part of, of Krishna or part of um, the Supreme Personality of Godhead aspect. Uh, but some people, that's as far as they go. They just say, it's just, it's just impersonal. It doesn't go any farther than that. Um, but we say it does go farther than that. As this verse is saying, there's Paramatma, Krishna in everybody's heart. And not only is there Paramatma, Krishna in everybody's heart, but there's Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So it's not that we, it's not that we completely, it's not that we discount the different aspects of Krishna or we don't appreciate them. But Gaudiya Vaishnavas, we, we specifically uh, focus on the Bhagavan aspect because that is the most important um, aspect and um, most personal aspect. And after all, uh, we're personalists. We're not impersonalists. <clears throat> so, uh, so therefore, devotees should... Knowing the goal and knowing that we're, they're personalists, we're personalists, they should focus on the personal aspect of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So it means, uh, you know, Nama, Krishna's name, Rupa, Krishna's form, right? Nama, Rupa, Guna, Lila, Krishna's qualities, Krishna's pastimes. Uh, and not focus too much on this, on this world, <clears throat> which is very difficult because <laughs> we're living here. And even religious people, spiritual people, devotees, or whoever they are, uh, they whatever tradition they're from, they ha- they sometimes have a difficulty um, forgetting this world. Why? Because we're in it, and and we have to participate in it uh, generally, and doing whatever we we have to do, um, working this that, so many things, dealing with this world. Uh, so we have to be careful because there's many good people, there's many pious people, there's many religious people, but and they believe in God. Like um, like I was on the airplane coming here from San Diego yesterday, and uh, there was a lady next to me, older lady sitting next to me, and she was very busy on her computer the whole time, you know, just. Typing, type, 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 type. The whole, practically, it was like three hours from San Francisco, three and a half hours from San Francisco to uh, Dallas. And it was a long three and a half hours for me, anyways. But, um, so, so she was type, type, type. And what she was doing is she was, um, uh, I looked over and she was working. I mean, it wasn't like, but she was working on her, uh, Whatever she was doing, whatever I think she was maybe part of a real estate agency or something like that. But she was really busy, and I was chanting. I was I had my bees and I was <laughs> trying to chant throughout that time. Um, and then you know she was on her phone, on her computer, and then at the very end, and then on her computer when when she uh, you know they have a picture there. People put a picture of their kids or their wife or whatever. So she put a picture of uh, two dogs. I guess they're apparently her dogs. Um, and then on her phone, she had a picture of her and her wife. I mean, excuse me, not wife, husband. <clears throat> so, and then at the very end, and sometimes when I'm on a plane, I'm thinking, I really wish I was with some devotees because devotees are like really refreshing and just like inspiring and encouraging and just the energy devotees put off is, is quite, you know, wonderful. So I was wishing, some, I'm wishing I'm with devotees each time I'm flying, but if I'm by myself. So it was kind of getting to me. And then 
And then at one point she pulled out, uh, she pulled out her Bible. She pulled out the Holy Bible and she got out her little pen and she was, you know, marking the Bible. And I said, oh, this is nice. You know, she's, she's religious. This is, this is good. You know, I felt happy about that. Uh, so that's good. And many people are like that. Like, you know, there's this, I saw another guy in San Diego airport. He was sitting there. And he had his uh, baseball cap on, and it, and, it, and it was like for the Green Bay Packers, you know, football team or whatever. And so he's into sports. And then he pulls out a book, and it says something about uh, the godly man or something. So he's reading a religious book also. So that's good. So we don't, uh, you know, criticize or find fault. You know, too much with such people, with people like that. But the question is, that I was thinking in my mind, the question is, how much are they loving God, according to their conception? How much, and how much are they loving other things? Like, you know, their dogs, which, you know, on the computer, their hus- her husband, her work, whatever it may be. So, are those things uh, taking over her life? Are her dogs taking over her life? Means all of her attention and energy and husband and work and all these things. Are these things overshadowing her love for God? And are, are, are sports, you know, the desire to see sports overshadowing his love for God? So we should also ask ourselves that because it's a very important question that we may have families, which we're not against. <laughs> Just because I'm a Brahmacharya doesn't mean I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not against families or something. But we may have families and and uh, other, so many other things, animals or pets or this or that, or you know, so many things gone in our life. So the question is that how much are we letting these other things, other people uh, overshadow our love for Krishna, or are they helping us? And I'm not advising any of the married men to, you know, join the Brahmacharya ashram or take sannyas or anything like that, so I don't have to get any ideas. Um, And if something is getting in the way of our devotional service, then we should just kick it out of the way. We should just get rid of it. And how do we do that? Uh, Srila Prabhupada said that in one letter, he said that you write to me to say that you have so many impediments on your devotional path. And my answer is that with one kick of my boot, I could remove all these impediments. Prabhupada said boot. He, He would always use boot for some reason, although, anyways. Probably didn't wear you know, boots, but he used boot. They said, with one kick of my boot, I will remove all these impediments. And then Prabhupada said, provided you follow my instructions. So, if we follow the instructions of the spiritual master, then impediments will be removed. But one thing to consider is that sometimes, you know, we want the impediments removed immediately, quick. We want it quick, right? Like nowadays in America, especially, uh, people want things quick, right? Everything's quick. Fast food, quick, this quick, that quick. You order something online, Amazon Prime comes the next day or whatever, however fast it comes. So quick, which in many ways is, you know, passion, you know, denotes passion. Uh, so when Prabhupada says that he'll kick those impediments out of the way, provided we follow his instructions, it's a gradual uh, process. It means that over time, the impediments will go away. Just like when somebody's uh, when somebody's taking a when somebody's diseased, they're sick and they're taking a medicine. It doesn't just usually doesn't just if it's a heavy you know um, disease. It doesn't just automatically work. Usually it takes time. And gradually you feel more strength, you feel more energy, you feel more like yourself. So um, so over time it will 
work, provided we follow the instructions. But also in relation to being gradual, we shouldn't make it too gradual. (laughs) Because, Because gradual, sometimes it can mean that you know, it's certain degrees, you know, you're moving towards the goal, but but we don't want to take too long. Um, so, uh, so, and ultimately we should all come to the point where we're just full on uh, 100% uh, Krishna conscious and full on surrendered, 100% surrendered um, to Krishna. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we have to, uh, you know, renounce everything. You could say, or uh, you know, take sannyas, or you know, retire, or move to Vrindavan, or anything like that. Maybe later in life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, like Bhakti Notakwa, right? It was his appearance day recently, and and he was an out ideal householder. Had ten children and high court district magistrate judge and very responsible and Christian conscious. So he led the example. But at the end of his life, the last few years of his life, he accepted Babaji. So he just went into. Uh, full meditation on, on Radha Krishna and, uh, you know, dedicated the rest of his time and energy hearing chanting about Krishna. So, all devotees, uh, when they get older, they should do something like that. It may not be uh, like what Bhaktivinoda Thakur did or, you know, sannyas or something like that, or it may be, but... Something like that, some type of retirement. Now, someone will say, someone may say, well, how does that relate to me? I'm a young person, or I'm a fairly young person, or at least I'm not in my 50s or 60s, or like in this country, if you know, they practically work you till you're dead, <laughs> till you're 75 or something, excuse me, but uh, they work you really hard. But someone may say that I'm not so close to that stage, so how does this point relate to me? So it does relate to us, because Bhaktivinoda Thakur, although the last few years of his life he accepted Babaji, but what did he do every day? Every day he set out some time where he would, you could say, retire. Or as some people say, like a mini-vacation from this world. So... He would write, I mean, he wouldn't sleep very much, three hours, and then he would write for eight and a half hours, and then he would work for six hours, and then he would um, do his uh, chanting and um, study for four and a half hours. So the point could relate to us is that every day we should re- we should have a time where we retire, where we have many vacation into chanting the holy names and to reading scripture, associating with devotees. And in this way, we're training our mind to be Krishna conscious, right? And then when the time comes to actually retire, we could do it. Or else it becomes very difficult. People retire and they go, oh, well, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, maybe I should get another job. And that, they do that. Um, I mean, there's so much to do. I mean... Radhakala Chanji, Shishi Radhakala Chanji, needs to be dressed every day, right? Uh, so many offerings to cook, garlands to make, things to clean, books to distribute, classes to give. So when one retires, they could full-on engage in devotional service. <clears throat> and But, but that practice uh, should be there. Um, so, in other words, we shouldn't think of Krishna consciousness as like kind of like the spice of life or something. It's like we have our life, and Krishna consciousness kind of like to spice it up, you know, make it a little better. Um, which a lot of people see religion like that. Like I was given a class, a talk at. Uh, I was very happy to give a talk at uh, 
USD. It's a, it's a university in San Diego, and the teacher invited, invited, us, invited us in just the day before I came here. And uh, I was happy because it's a, it's a private school, and it's a um, Catholic university, or Christian university. So they have a bunch of, you know, they actually have like a church on the campus, but it's a really nice campus, beautiful. Um, so when I was there, one boy, he asked me a question. He said, so, uh, like, you know, when you're not doing what you're doing, like, you know, as a monk or as a, you know, your, your religious activities or this and that, he says, what do you do with your free time? And I said, well, uh, I guess I pretty much do this with all of my time. I mean, try to stay busy with what I'm doing. Um, so, yeah, sometimes people see it like that. It's like, okay, you know, you, you, you do spiritual life to some degree, and then with your free time, you do so many other things, right? So, um, so for devotees, and specifically, uh, specifically who we're supposed to become, we want to just full on all the time be thinking of Krishna. Therefore, Krishna says, right, manmana, bhavaman bhakto, madhyajiman masku. Always think of me, become my devotee, worship me, bow down to me, and surely you'll come to me. Um, <clears throat> so we don't want to fall into that category because a lot of religious, spiritual people fall into that category. Spice of life, it's, it's something you do with your, it's like, like religion is something you do with your free time. Whereas, whereas devotees, we should try to um, we should try to just use all of our time really for uh, Christian consciousness, and that actually makes sense because why wouldn't we use all of our free time if it's if it's so pleasurable, if it's so nice, if it's so wonderful? Uh, why would we do anything else? Um, and. What makes Krishna consciousness wonderful, really, for us, is my conviction, <laughs> is that, uh, and of course, I could, anyway, and it is that uh, devotees actually bring to life the processes of devotional service. There's many people who lead kirtans and on and on like, like that, but... The devotees who are who are surrendered to Krishna when they lead a kirtan or so on, then it has some impact on the hearts of the listeners and, and, and it can influence people to actually surrender to Krishna, to actually become devotees. So each one of us sitting in this room, I suspect, that at one particular time in our life there was a devotee or there was devotees who inspired us. Why? Because they were inspired. And how did they get that inspiration? They got it from the predecessor, Acharya's teacher, just like just like Srila Prabhupada, right? He was super inspired. Why? Because Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And why was Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur inspired? Gorkashodas Babaji, Bhakti Thakur. And it's all all the inspiration's coming. And then Sri the Prabhupada, because he was inspired, he inspires his disciples. And his disciples, which probably a lot of us are initiated by, uh, they inspire us. <clears throat> and then, in turn, <laughs> we're supposed to be inspired, and then we're supposed to inspire others. And that's how it goes on. So, or else how will it go on? If, if if there's lack of inspiration. And therefore the Brahmins, those who chant Gayatri every day, uh, when they're meditating on Krishna, when they're meditating on Lord Chaitanya, spiritual master, so much of those prayers are referring to enthusiasm. Please get, enthuse me and give me enthusiasm. So, um, so devotees inspired us, and after we come to Krishna consciousness, it can't stop there. We have to have devotees who continuously inspire in us. Or else, <laughs> it's very difficult. If people sometimes wonder, why is Krishna consciousness difficult? Uh, well, a lot of the times because people make it difficult. <laughs> um, but a way in which it becomes more easy is that if we, if we surround ourselves with people who, who can inspire us. Just like somebody asked me yesterday here, one devotee, he said, 
Well, who captured your heart when you first came to the uh, when you first joined? And I said, well, it was a number of devotees. I didn't get into the details of who, but but so many devotees, you could say, captured my heart. Um, one devotee, he gave me my first book in San Diego. Amazing devotee named Radhanath Das. Uh, not Radhanath Swami, Radhanath Das. And uh, absolutely amazing. He was actually part of the Radha Damodar party. He actually lived in Houston for some time, years ago. He passed away maybe maybe six years ago. But why was he so amazing? Because he had a disease in which his whole body just became frail and uh, and aside from that, uh, his legs were amputated from the knees down. And um, another thing is, I mean, it's really terrible. I mean, if you don't think it's terrible, try it sometime. But uh, he had to blend all the prasadam he ever had in a blender. That's how he had his prasadam. He had to blend it. I know one devotee, Tirtamaraj, Mahatattva, um, you know, Tirtamaraj, he... He would. Uh, he had some dental problem. He had to blend his his raj bog, but it's it's not unpleasant. So, but despite all that, he never complained, and he didn't. And that's not his glory in and of itself. Not complaining. That's part of it. But the other part of his glory was that he would go out on books like six days a week, distributing Prabhupada's books in his wheelchair, and for many hours a day. So I was walking out of the out of some grocery store with my mother and when I was 16 years old. So I walked out and Radhanath Prabhu was there. And then he passed me a, he, he, he passed me a book, Perfection of Yoga. So then I, I accepted the book. My, my mother b- bought a flower. He was selling flowers. And uh, from that book I visited the San Diego Temple about a year later and then in two years I joined the temple at 18. So it's been like about 12 years since then. But he was a great inspiration. And then I met so many other devotees, His Holiness uh, Giraj Swami, um, also very inspirational for me. Um, so, and without that inspiration, it's very difficult. So we shouldn't always just depend on, we should depend on others always. We should depend on devotees always. But there comes a point where we all, we're always taking shelter, but we should also, you could say, give shelter to others in the sense that we should be source of inspiration for others as well because um, that's just what we should do according to Lord Chaitanya. So whoever you are, that means all of us, <laughs> um, wherever you go, um, tell people about Krishna, and this way become a spiritual master and liberate the land. Um, so, so our ability to become closer to Krishna is actually uh, depends on devotees. And people's ability to come closer to Krishna at, at some point um, may depend on us to some degree. So it's a great responsibility. And therefore, um, this idea of always having shiksha gurus is extremely important. Because everybody understands, at least to some degree, the importance of diksha, to accept spiritual initiation diksha. Um, but also, Shiksha gurus um, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it says that they're together. The Diksha, Shiksha, they work together. And devotees, um, it's something that devotees, I think, should think about. Um, like His Holiness uh, Tamal Krishna Goswami, there's this whole exchange that um, His Holiness Giraj Swami and him had. <clears throat> here in Dallas, and the exchange was that at one particular time in, in the movement, um, there was a lot of, uh, you could say, upheaval, and a lot of leading devotees were leaving, leaving the movement, and it's quite chaotic. So, 
so my spiritual master, His Holiness Giraj Swami, when he was here, he started developing this um, this mindset that, according to him, you know, he said in one of his talks that not really trusting or having so much faith in in devotees, but more so having faith in, in Prabhupada, because so many devotees were leaving, and it was very. So then he came to Dallas here, and then he was up stairs with Tamal Krishna Goswami in his room, and they were talking. And then Tamal Krishna Goswami said, revealing his mind, he said, even with all of my association with Prabhupada, my accepting first initiation from Prabhupada, my accepting second, my accepting third, sannyasa initiation from Prabhupada, I still feel that I need Shiksha Gurus to, to help me in my relationship with Prabhupada. Uh, and then he said that, um, and then he said that, uh, he started naming some of his Shiksha gurus, uh, different devotees. And his own as Giraj Swami was one of them. He was taught, they were talking to each other. He was one of them. So then at the time, um, yeah, my spiritual master, he didn't, he didn't really, he didn't really, uh, say anything to him because he was thinking about it. And he, in, in some ways, at least according to how he explains it, he was having a hard time seeing what he was saying was true. But then the next morning, they're all chanting Japa here in the temple room. And then uh, His Holiness Giraj Swami goes to Tamal Krishna Goswami and says, uh, I thought about what she said last night and it's true. We do need Shiksha Gurus. And then he said, in his own way or however he said it, that... Uh, and he accepted Tamal Krishna Goswami as his Shiksha Guru. So they kind of accepted they accepted each other as Shiksha Gurus. So and this is an interesting point because also it's like you could say they are maybe got initiated at the same time, around the same time, they're God brothers, maybe they have the same record of devotional service. So how can they be Shiksha Gurus to each other? So the idea is that as Vaishnav etiquette and lifestyle and practice has it, is that devotees are humble, right? <laughs> and if devotees are humble, then they're thinking that other devotees can teach them. Um, so if other de- devotees can teach them, then then other devotees are their gurus. So therefore, you could see like that. Tamal Krishna Goswami sees Giraj Swami as his guru and vice versa. Um, and... The point of Shiksha Guru is that uh, we may do so many things in our life, but if we check with Shiksha Gurus, then we'll have a better idea, is, is does Krishna really want this? Um, just like Tamal Krishna Goswami also, I was listening to talk recently, and he was saying that he started going to university. And he said he wasn't really sure about it. <laughs> and he checked with so many devotees over and over, so many of his God brothers, and they all said, yes, continue, continue, it's good, Krishna wants this. And he said, like, over a period of two and a half years, he started becoming a little convinced, you know, that Krishna wanted him to do it. So, yeah, this is indication. <clears throat> so, so yeah, um, last thing is that we accept, you know, the importance of Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, but we stress the Bhagavan importance, uh, the uh, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And we become close by... Uh, by becoming close to devotees. And I'll just end with this last little thing, which I thought was quite brilliant and unique. But uh, but uh, Tamal Krishna Goswami, his little, kind of, this little quote he said, that he said that, if you want to please, uh, by, by serving Krishna, you please the guru. So the guru is really pleased. You're, you know, dressing Krishna. He's very pleased, so on. And then he said, by serving, uh, by serving the guru, Krishna's pleased. Krishna's always serving my pure devotee, serving my devotee. Krishna's very pleased. And then he said, but if you serve the devotees, then both uh, guru and Krishna are pleased. <laughs> so that's the, yeah. So that's how we get close to Krishna and pleasing Krishna. Okay, so does anyone have any uh, questions or comments or anything you'd like to say? Yes.
Okay, how they okay. That's a good question, thank you. That's the that's the uh wonder of questions is it you know fluffs things out and gives a clearer picture. So how they could not be obstacles. Uh, well, there's um, you could say examples of devotees who, like I was saying, Bhaktivinoda Thakur and other, and also recent devotees who are around, um, and they give us examples of how to live in this world and not be so um, affected by it. So, one particular. Uh, Historical account of this is the the account of Bharat Maharaj, which I won't go into the details because it's quite a uh, historical account. But so Bharat Maharaj, briefly, he was you know the king, emperor, and um, and for whatever reason I'm not, I, I don't exactly recall, but he left home. He's actually young. He's actually a young man because usually kings they you know when they're older, but he was a young man. He left his wife and children and kingdom, and he went to the forest. And he was meditating, and then there was a, a lion, and then there was a, a female deer, doe, right? and she was pregnant, and and she was so scared of the lion, and then she um, she she died, but the but the baby uh, but the baby deer was was born, fawn. So Bart Maharaj, I mean, he became really attracted. I mean. It's attracted just like children. I mean, children are, <laughs> you know, they're attractive. I mean, practically everybody's, everybody's, you know, a child comes in and, you know, like they're, I don't know what it is, they're innocent or whatever it may be, but just somehow or other attractive for people. So similarly, a fawn, you can imagine how attractive, I mean, for people, yeah. So he became attracted. So, and he became attracted to such a degree that he started forgetting his uh, spiritual practices. Um, so then, so then he, when he died, he meditated on this fawn and became a deer in his next life. So the charyas they bring up a point, and the point is that that if he was surrounding himself with devotee association, because he was in solitary, he was he, was, he didn't have anyone around. But if he was Around devotees, they would say, you know, "Hey, Prabhu, you know, what, what's going on? I, I don't see you, you know, ch- chanting your rounds. I don't see you meditating. I don't see you, you know, doing that." So, and then he'd have a chance to get back on track. So, if all of us, I mean, whether one's a brahmachari, I mean, there's dangers of brahmachari life. There's dangers of householder life. There's dangers of sannyas life. I mean, every particular ashram, every whether woman or man or this, I mean, everybody has their dangers in the sense of forgetting Krishna. But if we uh, surround ourselves with people, they could tell us, like, hey, you know, I notice I haven't seen you at the temple for you know quite a few days. What's been going on? And then you know you feel like some pressure. He means that it's out of affection, out of love. Somebody says that. Um, so if somebody's married, for example then a wife should ideally, uh, you could say, support her husband in that regard, and also the husband should support the wife in that regard. But that really means that they have to be spiritually strong. Or else it's like, hey, well, the wife says, well, I, haven't, I, I didn't go to the temple. And the husband says, oh, I didn't go to the temple either. Okay, great. So it doesn't really matter. So let's do something else. And or I didn't chant my rounds, and oh, I didn't chant my rounds either. So let's not chant our rounds together. <laughs> so um, we have to be spiritually strong, or surround ourselves with those who are spiritually strong. And that strength in this age comes from chanting of the holy names of Krishna. Primarily, that's our chief means of advancement. Hari Nama, Hari Nama, Hari Nama, Evakavalam. So the way that we could protect ourselves is to ourselves become spiritually strong by taking shelter of the holy name of Krishna. It's, it, mustering enough, as much energy as possible when we're chanting our rounds. 
and then also surround ourselves with people who who have uh, some strength. So that could be some way in which um, that could not obstacles can't uh, get in our way. Yeah, you have anything else to say about that, or? I appreciate very much what you said that um, there's a support there's an element of support system if the intentions are on the spiritual platform then then it no longer becomes an obstacle is that correct so if provided that the people that we surround ourselves with, they are an actual spiritual support, then it would not be an obstacle. Yeah. The only thing that I also would add, just from my personal experience, um, <clears throat> also the aspect of, of you know being solitary and chanting, and Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Thakur had said that if you're solitary, but meditating neti neti mm-hmm. all the time on something, then that also might be considered an obstacle um, in one sense. So, um, but I also appreciate your positive um, explanation that the people that support us should uplift us. Yeah, yeah. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that yoga means you know connection with Krishna. Uh, without, where does it go? Uh, oh, sorry. Um, detachment. Um, sannyas. Sannyas, detachment, without yoga, without connection with Krishna, is simply dukkha. <laughs> Miserable. So, you know, like you're saying, neti neti, oh, I have to detach myself from this, or, you know, from the materialistic concept of life, or at least I have to follow the four regular principles and chant 16 rounds. So, doing those things without, without, uh, trying to become detached, at least to whatever degree, without yoga, without connection with Krishna, is just simply miserable. So therefore, the idea is we need a taste. And we get a taste, as the Bhagavatam says, 1, 2, 16. Um, uh, so by serving the great souls who are completely free from vice great service is done and one gains a taste for hearing the messages of, of Krishna so for example reading Srila Prabhupada's books we're serving him why? because we're hearing from him they're like recorded kirtans and also doesn't mean we should just do that, but serving devotees, we, we get a we get a uh, taste for Krishna consciousness. Um, so that so that's important as well to have that uh, have that taste. And the last, I was just trying to remember what I was going to say. Uh, recently, was the disappearance of Haridas Thakur. And Haridas Thakur, there's a there's a particular verse in there. Haridas Thakur wants to leave the world before Lord Chaitanya. Because he doesn't want to experience the pain and separate. He, he wants to just leave. Before. That was his desire, and it, and it happened. And Lord Chaitanya was there when he left the body. And amazing pastime. But in that particular pastime, Lord Chaitanya says, "Because you are a such a wonderful devotee, surely Krishna will fulfill your desire." So this is an interesting point because. We may feel that, okay, well, who am I? Why is Krishna going to fulfill my desire? And that's good to feel like that. But there may be some personalities, or you could say there should be some personalities within our life that we have faith in, which we feel that they're really connected with Krishna. And because they're connected with Krishna, if they pray on our behalf, right? if they petition Krishna on our behalf, Krishna will help us. Therefore, what is this whole idea behind blessings? You know, Maharaj, give me your blessings. Gurudev, give me, you know, Guru Maharaj, give me. Part of this, which is a good idea, part of it is that they actually pray for us. 
And then Krishna, because he's there tightly connected, Krishna listens, <laughs> and therefore we're helped. So that's why it's important not to, to you know, be on good terms with devotees. <laughs> so, does anyone have any other uh, comment or question? A comment or question? Comments or questions? The difference between diksha and shiksha? Okay, uh, diksha is a process in which spiritual master accepts a disciple formally. It's like a contract they have, you know, with Krishna and the spiritual master and the disciple. And it gives the disciple a spiritual name and the disciple takes vows to follow certain vows and should chant a particular amount of rounds. So it's a formal commitment. Now, in our line, it's actually um, uh, shiksha line. For example, like shiksha is you know, most important. Of course, diksha is there, but like Gorka showed us Babaji, he's on the altar. Um, uh, but, or, yeah, but Bhaksano Thakur, who's before him, is actually, they're not, he's not his diksha guru, it's a shiksha guru. So, shiksha's of the most importance. But diksha is also important. And Srila Prabhupada said one time that one man was going to take sannyas in, in Vrindavan. And Prabhupada said, decorate the place very, it was Prabhupada's disciple, decorate the place very wonderfully, you know, pompously. We're going to have a grand celebration. Why? Because we want him to know something's going on. <laughs> Means that these things, they leave impressions in our mind initiation and so on that there's a big lot of devotees and you know decorations and you bow before the guru you take the vows you, you, you take the vows before the deities so it leaves an impression a samskara within our minds so that's why it's important and other reasons too but so um, for I've met I've met people that do isolate themselves and um, some of their reasons might be, oh, I don't want to go to the temple because I'll offend everyone. What, what do we, how do we help them? Yeah. I don't want to go to the temple because I'll offend everyone. Um, well, the thing is, it's like, how are things supposed to go on? I mean, like, it's kind of in the same realm that, well, like, what they're saying practically is that, hey, I'm too offensive, you know. I'm, and what does that mean practically? That means I'm too fallen, you know. I'm fallen, you know, I, I can't go to the temple, I'm fallen. Why? Because I'm so fallen that if I go there, I'm going to offend somebody. So, okay, fine, you could say that's a good mood on one angle of vision, but if it goes too extreme, then it's actually bad. And then not just bad, it's just, it's just like beyond bad, because you're not going to the temple. So, for example, I mean, none of us should think like that. Why? Because how will things go on? If I think, well, I'm just, you know, I mean, of course, we have to have some basic uh, preliminary qualifications to go on the altar. But if we if we follow the principles, we chant our rounds and like that, and we say, and we still we think, you know what? I'm I'm just too fallen. You know, I can't dress the deities. Then who will dress the deities? Or I I can't give class. I'm too fallen. I can't give class. Or I can't cook the Sunday feast. Or I can't do this. I can't I can't chant my rounds. I'm too fallen and. So, and then it develops this strange kind of mindset. And then and then you just remain fallen. <laughs> yes, you are fallen and you remain fallen. Not all of you, but... Um, so, these things are purifying. Like, I could say that, I could say that, that, hey, I'm too fallen to give class. I could say that. I've tried to say that before. <laughs> I've tried to get out of it a few times. Um, but this is also purifying for me. Why? Because I get to talk about Krishna, I get to talk about I get to talk about uh, Krishna consciousness. Um, so therefore, it's purifying for me. And this is I, I like doing this, giving giving talks and also leading kirtans because I'm forced to focus. I have to focus on Krishna. When I lead a kirtan, that's why it's good if devotees lead kirtans. By the way, it's good you know to be in the audience and sing, but it's also good to lead. 
Because if we lead, because when we're, when we're in the audience in a kirtan, you know, we could think about this, think about that, kind of, you know. But if you're leading, you have to focus. Because, you know, people are depending on you. You can't just like you know, space out or something. So similarly, with, when you're giving a talk, uh, in the audience, you know, whatever, you think about this. But when you're, when you're talking, you have to focus. So, um, so in other words, it should be seen as a means of purification. So when people are like this, oh, I can't come to the temple, I'll offend everybody, then we could just pray for them, could pray for them. We could, you know, go and visit them, bring them prasad, have kirtan at their house, read with them, and just hope that over time they become more mature. But aside from that, I mean, how much can we really help people? You know, like Krishna says, you know, or uh, Prabhupada quoted that, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So if if a person is at a particular level, that just may, you know, they need to go through certain things before they mature. So, so yeah, basic thing, we could pray for them, we could um, go and visit them and try to encourage them, and we could just hope that they mature. Um of course, some people are more kind of like isolated people or whatever, but, you know, it's called the Sankirtan movement for a very good reason. Sankirtan means all together. Because, uh, you know, when we're together, something gets done. It's very difficult, right? Like they say, I think, um, I don't know where it's from, but I think it's from like a military or army or something American, but it says, Uni- <laughs> United... You know, if we're all united, we stand, you know, to fight. Divided, we're all, you know, all over the place and, you know, by ourselves and we fall. So that's why the Sankirtan move is there. All right. Okay, one last. Mr. Amar Patel. Patel? Sometimes we often come across like um, situations where we are kind of hesitant to, uh, we have a lot of doubts and we are hesitant to ask a Guru Maharaj, um, is it okay to consider that it's better to ask the same uh, or get these doubts resolved through Shiksha Guru than Diksha Guru? Or is it um, fine just to not care about anything and just go on? Yeah, that's a good question. Ask uh, Guru Maharaj questions which are which may not be sensible enough. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you have a powerful voice, by the way. You lead Kirtan? Yeah, thank you. Very right, good. So, uh, yeah, so what, Diksha, Shiksha, should we ask certain doubts to the Diksha Guru versus the Shiksha Guru? Well, a lot of the times, I mean, we may ask our Diksha Guru certain things, certain times about, you know, our, our life and this and that and, you know, different things. You know, it's nice to do that sometimes. But also it's good to ask senior disciples or, you know, disciples um, what they think also that you trust, that you have faith in. So that's good too. Because, uh, you know, the idea is to expand our faith, not just to Diksha Guru, but to others as well. That's important. Because there's a Diksha Guru, but there's personalities who are close to him, or at least align closely to what he thinks, what he feels, what he stands for. Just like Prabhupada. There's Prabhupada and there's people close to Prabhupada who, who, who know what he wants, who you know, know what he stands for. So if we take instruction from those personalities, we're safe. And we should learn how to have faith in that. Because the Diksha Guru is not always there, as you might have noticed. I mean, he's there, but you know, we may not be able to ask questions all the time. Thank you, Prabhupada. All right. So what time does the class usually end? Okay. All right. Grantarad Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Srila Tamal Krishna Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai.